Welcome back to Are You a Robot? This is a series where we aim to tackle some of the most challenging questions that stem from AI, ethics, and related technologies. We're doing this by gathering some of the best and brightest minds, the thought leaders in their space around AI ethics, AI governance, and we're trying to stimulate this conversation to bring forth some best practices for the community as we move forward and AI continues to have a deeper integration into our daily lives. So we also have a Slack community that I would love for you to join. If you at all resonate with any of these topics, I implore you to get involved in the Slack community. Come say hi. Let us know what you're working on. We always love hearing different voices and opinions. That is what is needed right now. This open forum is crucial to the whole topic of AI ethics and AI governance because it is not so black and white. The last thing I will say is that we have an incredible sponsor. This would not be possible if it weren't for Ethics Grade. They are an ESG benchmarking firm that specializes in technology governance. If you would like to know more about them, go ahead and check them out in the description below. So today we spoke with Lewis Bird, who is a UX designer by trade. We talked to him about his article that he wrote in UX Magazine about voice assistance and potential racial voice assistance. I thought it was fascinating to hear his experiences with his voice assistant, Brigsby. And for those of you that don't know who Brigsby is, it's the Samsung version of Siri, we could say. He also has started a company, Aware, which is a platform that is for small to medium-sized businesses that HR teams can use to monitor when there are biases inside the company by looking at their employees' texts. Without further ado, let's get into it with Lewis Bird. Are you a robot? I want to welcome you, Lewis, to the Are You a Robot podcast. This is an incredible chat we're about to have. I know I have a lot of questions for you, man. And I am really excited to be able to talk to you about some of these topics that aren't necessarily brought up on a day-to-day. -day. And I think you have a lot of insight into them. So I'm really excited to talk about A, what we have deemed racist chatbots, right? That mm -hmm. might be the clickbait title for it, but I right. think there is a lot of truth behind it. And B, I want to talk a bit about your new endeavor that you're getting into. I want to go into that and explore the implications and also the different ways that we can move forward from all of these issues, these social issues that we're looking at, and also yeah. these uh, artificial intelligence and data ethics issues. So yeah. thank you for being here. And it is a pleasure to start off the podcast with you. And I would love to know a bit more about you before we get into any of that. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, hey, just to get started, first, let me say thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, this is something I'm very passionate about, just talking about uh, 
Yeah, definitely the technology piece, the tech piece, mm. uh, specs or whatnot, but more so the the implications of it in our society. That's that's what I'm really passionate about. So a little bit about me. Uh, I guess pre-interview, we were talking a little bit about that. So Lewis Bird, I am a Kansas City, Missouri native. For those mm-hmm. who still do not know where Kansas City is, we won the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> uh, the Missouri side, that is. There's two, we're a twin city with Kansas City, Kansas. We love them too. But <laughs> that being said, uh, you know, I, I've, I say, where should I start, man? Uh, I started out uh, following my, my career, my passion in music many years ago uh, as a music production, uh, aspiring person, songwriter, uh, engineer. Uh, so long story short, when I went to undergrad uh, at the University of Missouri, Columbia, I majored in electrical engineering and uh, math. And I had an internship at our local utility here back then. And uh, this was around my sophomore, junior year. Uh, for a couple years, I interned and I realized that corporate America was not for me. Uh, working in, as an engineer in that capacity, that was not something I wanted to do. Uh, but Basically, by the time I really realized that it was too late to switch majors, it wasn't too late, but I didn't want to stay in school any longer than I had to. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I went ahead and completed the program and then graduated and moved to Minneapolis uh, and pursued another degree in audio production, audio engineering, because that's always been my passion, even from nice. being a, a young kid. And um, it was up there where I started working with a lot of just different musicians and I needed extra money in the studios and they would ask questions or in, in conversations I'll hear them say, you know, we have to have our album art together and, and we need some mm-hmm. photography. And I had access to these tools via the school I was going to. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, hey, I can do it. I can do it, <laughs> you know? And uh, that, uh, long story short, Demetrius, that's how I got into... Um, Start off in marketing, uh, even while I was doing the audio production, and it kind of transformed into branding. And it was mm-hmm. like that branding piece really resonated with me because I was, uh, it, it goes back to the engineering side of me. It's like analytical solving problems and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, I honestly, man, I, I fell in love with that. So, what started off as a way to kind of like, um, Helped me with my my music equipment addiction to buy more equipment. Uh, it, I know about that addiction. Yeah, you know about it, right? So it, it, it was one of those things to where it led me down this path of I really enjoy working with people and helping them solve their problems. And, and honestly, man, when I think about even the stuff I do today with product development um, and even some of the consultant things I do with companies and, and inclusive design, I honestly still approach it in that dual capacity as an engineer solving a problem, but also as a music producer, like thinking about, okay, this is the big vision we're trying to set with this song or with this album. Same stuff, but now we're looking at it as this is the big vision we're trying to set with your company culture, with the organization, with the brand and things of that nature. So a lot of times people think like, well, you know, how are you... Where, where does this make sense? For me, it makes sense. It's, it's tying both worlds together. So mm-hmm. long story short, man, I, I had a, a stint working in advertising um, as a contractor. Um, I saw the challenges there in terms of just kind of like inclusion. And, um, you know, I, I 
eventually evolved to cross-cultural uh, strategic branding. So basically cross-cultural psychology was my framework, which focuses on nice. not what differentiates people, but what are the commonalities amongst people and how can we really play into that and, and, and elevate that in conversations. And uh, in that process, I was working with a lot of C-level executives and things of that nature. And often my cultural um, approach will get uh, diluted down to, well, can you help us recruit more diverse talent? Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, that's not necessarily what I'm here talking about. I'm trying to help you understand how to do better business in India, how to mm-hmm. have a better connection of, even across the United States, like, you know, in different markets. Uh, but it was like, yo, can you help us recruit more diverse talent? And, and when I would challenge these executives and tell them, well, you know, recruitment's really not your challenge. The real challenge is what are you doing to retain people from diverse backgrounds, to empower them, to encourage them uh, within your organizations? And that's where I saw the biggest gaps. That was the biggest gaps. It was like, you know what? Nobody really wanted to hear that part of the conversation. They just want to look at symptoms such as, oh, we need to recruit more people. But when you look at the fact that all those diverse people you recruited are leaving the next year, that's the bigger, the biggest issue. So, man, that's what led me to where I'm at today with my company. The, the, the current iteration of the company has always been an evolution of goodwill. It's very much focused on... Um, equity and inclusion and leveraging technology. So I'm going to stop there because that was at least a good four minutes, four or five <laughs> minutes talking about it. <laughs> so I'm going to well, stop there, man. <laughs> I love it, man. So much good stuff there in those four minutes. And I want to dive into the idea of you as a designer and looking at this AI or the chatbots problem from design perspective, because I think that is something that we are increasingly seeing more and more, right? As we move forward, we realize that talking to our phone or our computer, whatever it is, that is becoming our reality more and more. And it is a designer who is tasked with the job of making sure that that process is smooth. And it's like your UI or I mean, and your UX, right? It, right. Is the, it is the user experience, but on a different level. And so from that notion comes what you wrote about in, um, I think it was a UX blog post, right? Yeah, UX on the magazine. UX magazine, there we go. And we'll link to that in the show notes if anybody wants to check out this article because it's fascinating. And so you were talking about Bigsby which if anybody doesn't know what Bixby is, it is the native Samsung like voice assistant. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how you had to basically code switch. You had to lay off of your accent a little and go more neutral so that Bixby would understand you. Yeah. And so I have so many questions around that. Like one is, oh, well, maybe it's just because Bixby sucks. And if you're with Siri, it's better. Or if you're with Google Assistant, it's, it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. The other questions I have around that are, um, well, let's just start with that first. And then yeah, I'll get into yeah. the next ones. Like, is it something that is just because Bixby is not that well advanced? Or is it something that is universal to all these voice assistants? Yeah, man, that's a great question. So I think it's both, okay? Mm. 
Maybe part of it is Bixby isn't as um, polished as it could be, potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that being said, though, when I did Code Switch, you said it in such a nice, politically correct way. I love it. <laughs> when I did Code Switch and, and basically put on, as I like to call it, my white man voice, yeah. <laughs> it, did, it did understand me a lot clearer, though. So in that regard, from just a tech spec perspective, when I did the code switch, Bixby worked excellent, right? <laughs> uh, that being said, so when I test out other types of um, conversational AI, so for example, I have a Jeep Grand Cherokee and it has voice recognition, which mm-hmm. also underlying is a conversational AI. Yeah. That damn thing doesn't understand me half the time either, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have on my uh, my home office desk, I have a, uh, a Echo Dot. Yeah, through Amazon. Um, I t- tried to have conversations with it, and it struggles sometimes. So honestly, I'm 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 looking at myself like maybe it's just me, right? Maybe I just have lazy talk, and the, the things don't understand me, right? But it also bears the question of okay, is it me or is it the technology, right? So exactly. the 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 engineer slash quasi scientist in me is like okay. Maybe before I make these claims, I need to do more tests to see. But I will tell you that the devices that I have engaged with, um, specifically the conversational AIs, many of them struggle to understand me. And like mm. I said, that could be just because we're in early the early years of this technology. Um, so it, it may be a, a, a impact with a lot of people, and I can see that. I do know, however, that other people that I know that look like me and for the audience who can't see me, I am a six foot three black man from the Midwest in the United States. Um, A lot of people that I know, uh, they also have some of those challenges as well. Hmm. So to answer your question, I think maybe it's both. I think there is both. The technology isn't quite as advanced as it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, the technology is doing exactly as um, what it's supposed to do as it's been designed. And that kind of ties into the challenges I think that we're going to talk about in this conversation. Yeah. Well, and the first challenge that comes to my mind is these chatbots are produced or they are created with data, right? It's just right. millions of people that are talking to their phones or their Bixby or refrigerator in your case. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they are creating the knowledge that is what we are seeing from all these different pieces of, um, of technology, right? right? And what I am wondering is, A, going back to your, your idea of how you were trying to help companies be more uh, culturally diverse and in a way more advanced in that um, mindset. I'm wondering about this as, well, is it just because we need more data or is it because we need more engineers that are are more diverse and they're going to program in more better algorithms or is it because we need higher level uh, we need the C-suite to not just be uh, whitewashed. What is it, or is it a little bit of everything, right? Mm-hmm. What What is that 
going to look like so that we can see a change in these different types of technologies, especially like one thing that I think is fascinating is that this American, African-American vernacular English, as it is yeah. called, yeah. that it, there's like 43 million people that speak this dialect of English, right? Mm-hmm. And Poland has less of a population than that, but Poland gets its own language support for Siri and yeah. we don't see any language support for this African-American yeah. vernacular English. So yeah. what is it going to take for us to see that? Dude, I love that question. First, let me just say it like this. Um, when I think about, well, let me start here. To answer your question, I do believe that everything's interconnected. It's all connected. So when we look at it from a technology design and development standpoint, right? Hmm. looking at the, let's start with, with what's important to train these machines, right? It's data. Data mm-hmm. is what trains all our machine learning, where we're talking to the, the NLUs or natural language understanding, the natural language processing, even the, uh, the um, named entity generations, uh, like images, all this stuff is basically built off of data, right? Yeah. Here's the here's the challenge when it comes to data, especially um, when we think of it from a Western society perspective, um, and arguably just globally. Right? There's not enough data that is inclusive. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that the data doesn't exist. I'm saying that the data that we are currently using to train these machines is not inclusive, and as a result, most data sets that are on the market today, whether we're looking at the ones from universities and, and research labs to the ones that are uh, kind of like synthetic data created by different people um, or, you know, private organizations. Mm-hmm. Too often what we're seeing is that the data that is being collected largely uh, reflects and amplifies and distorts real world perceptions that already exist. It upholds the status quo. And I'm going to give you a very easy one, right? So this is even getting outside of tech stacks. This is just using, using something like that a lot of people enjoy. So for example, uh, what's the show Steve Harvey does? Um, Family Feud? Is it Family Feud? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So data, right? When you listen to the answers, right? That, that you know, the top five answers uh, for, for America or for men or for women or for whoever, when you listen to the answers, a lot of times those answers are not as inclusive to a more diverse populace. A lot of times those answers are based off of the sample set that they took, which is largely middle American white people. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when, when we start having those conversations, yes, there's a lot of commonalities amongst Americans. But then when we start looking at stuff, uh, so for example, like here in the state of Missouri, if you go to uh, St. Louis, which is on the east side of the state, it's only three and a half or about three hours and 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. They use the term soda a lot to refer to a soda beverage, right? You know, yep. carbonated drinks, right? Yeah. On the east side, or excuse me, the west side of the state in Kansas City, more people use the term pop, you know, mm-hmm. as a reference to that carbonated beverage. Just within one state, you have two different mindsets, right? 
So with that being said, when we start looking at data, and if you're only pulling from one sample set and you're not expanding on it over time, of course, you're going to run into issues where when you're training machines, they're only going to, because machines are very intelligent, right? They learn as they go, hence machine learning, hence artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence, things of that nature. They learn and they adopt and they grow over time. They get smarter, but they can only get smart based off of what they're taught in the beginning. So that's why you run into issues where a lot of machine learnings can, again, reflect and amplify and distort real world perceptions. And the problem with real world perceptions, again, is the data is not inclusive of mm-hmm. all people. So that's uh, that's how I look at it. It starts with, okay, so then like, you know, tying into why that is, again, once we step outside a machine and tech space, we start to understand just the social aspects around all this stuff, right? We start looking at how certain groups, and when I say groups, I'm talking about just different people, how their history is not adopted in the classroom, how it's not uh, really elevated in a higher level of academia. Um, And a lot of people are just excluded from certain aspects. So it all ties together and goes down to to the actual developers, the engineers. If you're not aware enough of thinking inclusively and thinking empathetically, you may see a data set and you will think this is a normal data set because this is what I'm used to understanding. I know these things based off of the data set. So I'm not thinking twice about going in and updating data to be more inclusive because this is normal to me. It all ties together. Does that make sense? That's a lot of sense. That It's completely true what you're saying, how if you're just seeing it how you know it is, you're not going to go branch out and look right. towards something new and say, well, this, there's probably something funny here because it's just that confirmational bias. Exactly. So what I'm wondering about is you're saying that there's not a lot of inclusive data. And how do you recommend we get more of that inclusive data? What can we do to create these data sets that are richer? Yeah, great question. I think the, the first thing to do is, one, acknowledge that hmm. this is how it is. Uh, that that and and what I mean by that to be specific is that acknowledgement of knowing the history of not even here in the United States, but just globally how certain groups of people have just been excluded from the larger frame of history in many ways, right? So that to me is important. Once we acknowledge that and then we can then we can start and say okay, well how do we fix it? The way that we actually from a tactical standpoint approach it is by being more inclusive in our design and development process. So once we when we start considering research and we start looking at okay, where are we going to collect data? How can you be strategic and go into a variety of communities to gain data? Uh, empirical data, that is, being able to go in and do ethnographic research, to be able to interview people, to be able to um, uh, really try to understand a truly diverse demographic, for at least for that, that technology, the problem that you're trying to solve, right? That, to me, is uh, one of the key steps in approaching all this stuff. 
with that being said, we can leverage kind of like what you talked about earlier. I mean, dude, I, some people in, in this space, uh, I know some some conversational AI people that refuse to use these technologies because they know that these technologies is just collecting data. Like mm. it's oftentimes I'm having just a regular conversation and my Google assistant just comes on. I, I was like, dude, I did not say, hey, Google. I didn't say anything, but uh, it just pops on. So with that being said, it's it's really big brother creepy stuff. But what I'm getting at is that technology is already in our hands. It's in our pockets. It's in our desktops. It's in our homes. That technology can be leveraged to start doing a better job of synthesizing this data and collecting it and making the adjustments. Now, what, what's going to happen there, though, is one, we start looking at the ethics piece, but then two, just from a development side, that's where it becomes important for the humans to be involved, to be able to understand the data that's being collected and how to basically ensure that it's that it's inclusive of this, this larger conversation, if that makes mm. sense. So I... I'm going to ask a question that might make me sound like a total scumbag, but how can we convince businesses that there is actually a monetary benefit behind this to make them go out and do this stuff, right? Because if it's just like for a, an inclusion, it is a great idea and it is a great initiative and I'm all for it. But as we know, businesses run off of profit, right? So right. is there a way, is there something that you can show businesses that says, hey, look, if you do have more inclusion, you are going, you stand to gain from it by this amount? Yeah, man, I love that question. So I believe the best way to do it is to hit them where, where you know, that's going to really pull on their, their, their heartstrings, which is mm. the numbers, the dollars, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. for example, here in the United States, the number one consumer in the United States is black people. We spend one of currently 1.3 to 1.7 trillion dollars in consumer uh, products. We spend the most money out of any group, yet we only make up about uh, what 12 percent of the entire populace of the United States. But we spend the most money. Now, a smart business person, and and some industries figure this out. You start looking at places like Nike. You start looking at uh, some of the music industry, You know, especially when they saw how lucrative hip-hop was. Mm -hmm. uh, they started to figure out, oh, we can make money doing this. And, and, and it basically supports their business. Like If you remove Jordan brand today from Nike, it would not be the same Nike, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So uh, so when you start, not saying that black folks are the only ones that buy these products and interact with them, obviously a lot of people do, but when you start looking at the numbers, that's when it becomes, maybe if we were more inclusive, we can make even more money, right? Mm -hmm. Now, to answer your question, again, that's going to be one of those things to where you need people, again, from the from the diverse perspective, the inclusive aspect to understand the opportunity and to be able to, to go to these organizations and explain and clearly articulate the, 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 the true opportunity and the value if it's tapped into, right? If you're already making, you, you know, 
six billion dollars on on gross revenues, and that's only on one demographic primarily. But you're you're completely missing the opportunity with this other demographic that that has just as much uh, disposable income that likes plant. I mean, I'll give you another example. One of the the um, the early adopters of most technologies, again, is the African-American population, right? Mm-hmm. Um, most smartphone technology, that is. Okay, the question becomes thinking inclusive and the cultural competence piece. Why is that? Why is it that in the U.S., Black people are uh, amongst the, the first ones to adopt smart technology phones, smartphones, and why are they the ones that spend... Uh, some some of the most money in terms of just that technology alone. Well, when you start looking at it from a cultural aspect, there's a lot of households that may not have a dedicated home computer. They may not have a dedicated uh, internet access. But if I have this Boost Mobile phone and I want this dope ass iPhone, I may get one for like you know five hundred bucks, you know, or something like that. Or I can make a payment plan on it. But now mm-hmm. I have access to the internet. When we start looking at things like um, all, pretty much all the social medias, when you start looking at what made TikTok pop, it was the fact that a lot of things were, like you said uh, in our in our pre pre conversation recording, Drake made a song for TikTok. He made it for TikTok, right? <laughs> so when you start thinking about culture and you start thinking about okay who are the people that are making these moves these these early adopters when when vine was a thing uh mm-hmm. nobody was really messing with vine before do it for the vine came out and everybody was like this is so fun like <laughs> those are things that can be monetized but it takes somebody that that's really looking at the opportunity not in a way to exploit people but just like dude there's an opportunity to elevate certain groups to to really show them that you care and that's there's a huge opportunity to monetize on that. So to to sum all that up, man, it's one of those things to where it's important for people to to understand how do you do that? How do you get companies to recognize the importance of this? Dude, show them the opportunity of what they're missing. Like mm. you're making this amount of money already. If you included this group, you could be making 10x, 20x more. And all Western society, capitalist society really care about, if we wanted to be honest, it's the bottom line. It's the money piece, right? So I'm going to leave it there, man, because I'm going to get off the soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that also there is another piece to that where the what you're talking about, right? Like the culture and how movements are started from these, from sometimes what we would i don't i don't know how to call it but like from urban movements become and then it becomes more of a a whole mainstream thing yeah yeah a country movement and then it's a world movement right yeah. and i think about that in respect to our chatbot talk and how there are some words that are definitely not are white words right but because they have been culturally appropriated by white people, they now are understood by Siri. Like, I can now tell Siri that it's lit, and that could work, but if you're going to use a bit more slang that the average uh, middle-class white young like teenager doesn't use on their day-to-day basis, I would wonder if Siri would understand that, right? Right. So 
there are those those ideas of like, oh yeah, the movement starts and then you have this 10x generation of revenue that you talk mm-hmm. about or potentially like 100x, whatever it is, depending on the thing. So yeah, that's a great a great case for why we should be getting into it and why we should be in, more inclusive on it. And yeah. I also wonder about the the risk that some of these companies may feel is involved in taking the plunge and getting it wrong. Because right now, I've, I've been out of the US for a long time. So I like am very, very cautious how I talk to people in the US yeah. because everything is racist these days. And yeah. there is a lot of the extreme other side where I, I sent, this was years ago, but I sent my brother a, um, a thumbs up and it was the black thumbs up. And he told me, that's racist. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I was like, what? Really? Uh, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to even go there. I, yeah. I was like, I don't think it is, but whatever. It doesn't matter to me. So the company that chooses to try to do something and they get it horribly wrong that's probably a lot of fear that is instilled in someone and so how can we go about like being inclusive to that company it's like they're going to try they are going to or some of us are going to get it wrong some companies are going to get it wrong but at least they're trying right yeah yeah so to answer that man i think i believe that one is this is this podcast PG? What, what's our what's our audience? Man? No, it's it's all all that you want. Get us as okay. deep down all right. and so, dirty as you need. <laughs> I have to, to I have to ask these things because I want to make sure. Sometimes I have a potty mouth. Uh, so we have to get over that shit, man. And what I mean by that is, I'm not saying that we have to get over racism per se, not in a very like all all lives matter manner. But what I'm saying is the fear. We have to be responsible. We have to be respectful. We have to be able to approach the conversation and really get to the cause, right? Mm. I think one of the biggest challenges that I see in America, arguably the world though, but let's just talk about America for a moment, mm-hmm. is the, fa- the fact that we are so quick to try to solve symptoms, but we never want to talk about the cancer, right? Mm. We never want to actually, let's solve the actual cancer that's creating this illness within us, right? Great point. And the reality is this, when we really break it down, again, one, we understand that the race aspect, America was built from that, right? And there may be people in the audience, they may be like, no, 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 that's, that's, that's BS or whatever. But no, the reality is that's how America was built. America yeah. was it's in its DNA to this day to where we're still having such a strong racial charge. Now, here's my my perspective on that. The reason why our racial charge is so, depending on how you want to look at it, negative, um, mm. is because we refuse to actually address the racism head on and talk about why does it exist. If we really break that down, then we understand that racism is a construct the concept of racism, and ultimately it boils down to economics. It boils down to money. Somebody is profiting from it. Whether you wanted to talk about the prison complex today, we want to talk about discrimination and, and, and housing. If you want to talk about go back 400 years and talk about slavery, that's one aspect. And that's just talking about just from the, the Black perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess what I'm getting at is 
companies who are afraid to address these things, I I honestly believe they're allowing that fear to be used as an excuse not to break the 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 construct of this racism thing. Now, with that being said, you have to be responsible. You can't just go in and make dumb decisions like what happened a couple years ago with like H and M putting out certain um, sweaters. That I can't remember. It was some about a monkey or something. I can't remember. You have to be, uh, but in H and M's defense, partially H and M is not a U.S. company. Again, the cultural competence piece around it all, right? With that being said, if you had people on your team who can speak towards those things and say, yo, that's not, you know, let's really consider these things before we we make that move. Honestly, to me, that's what it really boils down to. So whether we're talking about a company trying to mitigate their risk and doing the thing wrong, well, the best way to, to mitigate that is just having the right people in your circle to keep you, to hold you accountable for things. You're not always going to get it right. You're going to offend somebody no matter what you put out. Whether you put out the most politically correct, socially conscious piece, yeah. you're going to have a lot of people like, yeah, they get it. And you're going to have those other people that's like, you're being racist because you're not, you know, or, or you're being, you're doing something. You're, you're always going to have polarizing people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that being said, companies cannot be afraid to be inclusive. Now, like I said, man, it's one of those things where you have to be responsible. You have to understand where the law, where the, where the lines draw, to where you're 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 able to walk the path of being inclusive, being culturally competent, but not to the point to where you become offensive to any groups. Mm-hmm. Honestly, a lot of that just comes down to having a dope team surrounding you, like and people mm-hmm. who's going to tell you the truth. Otherwise. You can make those mistakes, but the, the cool thing about mistakes is you can learn from them, and now you know what not to do next time. So that's yeah. just my perspective. I don't know if I answered your question or not, Demetrius, but that's Perfectly. just how I look at it, man. Yes, yes, it's great. And now I want to move on to what you're doing currently. I know, and help me pronounce this, it's uh, Awari? Is Perfect. That? Yes, Awari, right, cool. yeah. Awari, and can you break down what it is real fast and what you're trying to solve with it? Yeah, man. So, Awari is a, um, it's a, the way that I'm developing it is a human experience platform. Specifically, I'm looking to do inclusive machine learning. Uh, The best way for people that like desserts, right? Let's think of it this way. If you like desserts, you understand that whether you're talking cookies, donuts, I don't know if they call everything overseas, but if you're talking cookies, donuts, pastries of different sorts, you know, cakes, uh, a lot of times those things are made with one of the main ingredients is sugar of some sort. Mm -hmm. Awari, the way I'm developing it is I want Awari to be sugar and I want it to be where it's something that can be sprinkled into different products that are... uh, and it becomes inclusive. So for oh, Goodwill, what, what I'm developing is a human experience platform for the workplace. It's going to be addro- addressing um, uh, employee engagement, productivity, and feedback. But the most important thing is, as a machine, it's going to be helping 
business leaders assist them in making equitable decisions within their organization, ultimately fostering more equitable opportunity for people in the workplace. So what exactly does that mean? It means, for example, let's say, Demetrius, you've been working at um, uh, Chatbox IO for the past, you know, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and based off of all the feedback you had in your team, because your company does continuous feedback all year round, um, 360 continuous feedback, based off the feedback that you've been receiving, you will make a great uh, lead for this upcoming project that you're going to be doing with Goodwill, helping them develop a new chat box. You will be a great uh, leader on the, on your team. But for whatever reason, Demetrius, over the past two years, because you're more of a quiet person, you're not the most outspoken person, your manager doesn't always, you know, reach out to you to be one of those lead people. They, they'll come to Lewis because Lewis talks a lot and I'm the most loudest person in the room, right? <laughs> yeah. But what Awari will do in this instance is say, hey, manager, you should consider Demetrius for this role because based off of his feedback over the past six months, based off of his career path and all these things, he will be a good, a good person for this uh, position. Consider him. All it's doing is nudging people to think beyond their 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 comfort, uh, their confirmation, their comfort, their affinity, what they're used to. So mm-hmm. basically, the goal is to provide insights on these equitable opportunities uh, within the workplace. That makes sense. Yeah, I find that brilliant, and it reminds me of something that I was doing back in college was. Uh, working, well, working, I was volunteering with this student organization group called ISEC. And the whole thing about ISEC was that we would try to bring, we would open up internships at companies in the US and then bring over people from anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And the whole sell on that was you were getting someone from a different culture, a different mindset, a different view, and they were going to open up your reality in your workplace and it was going to change that so now this is a a bit like i look at it like a uh, a bit of an automated way of doing that you're helping people see outside of their boxes or their blinders on and you're taking off the blinders in a way yeah exactly exactly and and you know that's that's the goal of it is to um like I said, equitable opportunity, and it's for all employees. So it's not just about the the race component. It's, it's looking at anybody uh, who who anybody who is deserving of an opportunity within the organization. And then, on, in addition to that, it's doing other uh, humanistic things. For example, so many people have a day to day, and they just do their work. They do their work. It's mm-hmm. other things to create a company culture that people want to stay at. Because again, when we think about company culture. Retention is important, right? Mm -hmm. So things as simple, a humanistic thing as simple as if I'm out sick for the past four or five days, Awari is going to remind my manager to say, hey, you should check on Lewis. He's been out for four to five days. Now, some people may say, well, what the hell does that have to do with anything? The reality is this. Those small little nudges, that's what create comfort company culture where people feel like they belong because most businesses, that humanistic piece, as much as they talk about, you know, their employees as their greatest assets, they treat their 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 employees like uh this is gonna be funny, like robots, right? <laughs> they don't really take them into consideration. But if this technology, with this technology, is going to allow 
it's my goal is to have it assist people to start putting those humanistic nuggets back into people to do basic things like yes there's the equitable piece which is very tangible very important but these these subtle things also create company culture of belongingness and in terms going back to the bottom line if i retain my top talent guess what i make more money i can scale i can grow the business so this is all a play on trying to help companies scale and grow but doing it in a manner that feels good like for, for for most people you know yeah well it's a very noble cause i really appreciate that you're doing that i want to ask one more and please don't feel like i am sh- having any shots fired on this but i think yeah. there's a very interesting ethical question to look at when yeah. because i i was reading a little bit about it and i know there is a piece and correct me if i'm wrong but there's a piece of it that is like it can read over your your different texts potentially yes. on Slack, and it will say if someone is leaning towards if they're not being inclusive or they're not yeah. or they are potentially it's like well that guy's a full blown racist yeah and so the only thing the ethical issue I have here is that me as not not so much towards what you're doing, but me towards my like boss, I don't necessarily want them to have all of my chats, right? Like I don't want them to be able to have all of that. And mm-hmm. But I'm not going to say no if they say, hey, we got to have this new program scan all of your Slack messages to make sure that you aren't racist. And yeah. so I can't say no to that because I'm then I'll look like a racist. Yeah. So here, so to address that, so two things. First, if you're using company paraphernalia, like so computers, software, whatever, and it's company owned, it's not your data. <laughs> it's the company's data to begin with. So no matter what you put on that Slack box, if you're flirting with a girl over in accounting or whatever, hey, it's the company's data. You should have been, you know, busting your move outside company walls. So that being said. That's the company's data. And, you know, a lot more companies, I think uh, one one um, study I found, I think it's uh, 43% of business leaders now want control or, or they, they are more interested in this kind of data within the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, in comparison to like two years ago, it was only like 15% of, of companies that, that cared and, and saw it being a problem in terms of just you know, the ethics piece. So with that being said, two folks. One, it's not your data. It's the company's data because you're using company stuff. Companies are already doing it anyway, right? They just, yeah. they're not, they're not really leveraging the data in the way that I'm talking about. Two, my goal with the, with the technology is to help protect people's anonymity behind it is, it's on the negative pieces, it's not going to, specifically call out an individual it's mm-hmm. going to look at your company culture altogether so if based off of all the feedback all the information that's coming through if your company culture is showing a negative sentiment towards different groups or or towards uh women gender or okay. certain ages that's how you kind of help protect because now we're saying i'm not saying demetrius is a full-blown racist <laughs> obviously you're not but you know i'm not saying that right I'm saying that based off of this data, your company is is showing these things, and here are ways to improve it. 
All this is about is helping companies mitigate their risk in that aspect to help protect them so you don't run into events where a employee puts out a memo talking about yeah. uh, women and, and people of color are inferior in technology and becomes widespread. If you can catch that before it happens and you can start addressing those things sooner within a company culture context, that gives you a much stronger opportunity to not run into those issues. Now, where where will Awari become specific is more so on the positive things, like the example I used earlier, the mm, equitable okay. opportunity piece. So it's like if there's an individual or a list of individuals who will be a good fit for certain internal roles or they should be given the opportunity, that's where Awari will 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 go granular and say, like, consider this list of people. But to help protect People and I know it almost sounds counterproductive because you will feel like, oh, I want to get rid of these people out of the company. <laughs> the way that I see it though is this though. The reality is the way that some of these things play out, it's it's not just one individual. Mm. It becomes one of those things to where this is a culture that we have, if not created, we support it. So we have to address the culture. That is allowing an individual to feel comfortable to to have these these things here. Does that make sense? So that's yeah. why I'm saying it's not from from the negative side. I'm not saying um, I don't at this point. I don't want Awari to to drill down on an individual. I want Awari to look at again the cause. The cause being our company culture has this type of energy around it. Yeah, and it goes so. back to that whole idea of the not addressing the symptoms, but really looking at the root. And exactly. I think that that's brilliant, especially knowing there's certain company cultures that are like, it's it's famous, right? Like I think Uber and Snapchat have these company cultures, the bro culture. Yeah. And so how can you address that and how can you help fix that before, like you said, somebody puts out a letter and then it's just on the nighttime news, if anybody... Yeah. Still watch exactly, that. but it's it's a brilliant idea, and I love that. I love, and thank you for clarifying because I was a little bit like, hmm, yeah, I don't know about the <laughs> the ethical issues there. And I do know that one thing that we talked to another guest about was how far, where do we draw the line of what we can get from that data that the yeah. company is collecting? Because one of these thought experiments that we went over was, let's say that I am on a company computer using my trackpad, and after lunch, the data shows that I'm a bit more jittery when I use mm. my trackpad. Yeah. So now, the company knows that, hey, what happens at lunch? What do you do? Have you been drinking a few? And so they can come to me <laughs> and start saying like, oh, you're working drunk. And, and mm. these days, I think what you were mentioning, the, the, the sentiment from the leaders, they want to know more about this. I'm sure it's only been amplified because of the whole work from home movement. Yeah. And so there is a, for me, there is a very fine line on what we can do mm. and what we can't. I think what you're trying to do, it, it walks that line perfectly. And yeah. especially when you talk about how you want to give these benefits to people who would not necessarily be included. And yeah. you want to make sure that it is more inclusive. You want to make sure that it has 
a greater reach than just the same old people being promoted and mm-hmm. or being put to lead uh, projects. And then when you, if you could get an idea of your company and how it is, that is gold, right? Like as a CEO, you want to know if that's happening because you don't necessarily see it. You're not on the ground level. So you can't tell necessarily if your company is leaning one one way or the other or if they are discriminatory towards one group or the other. Mm -hmm. So it that is a a great cause i really enjoy it and i want to leave you with the last words do you have anything to say before my last question Ooh. actually i have one more question okay. uh, but I'll, let, I'll leave you with the last words okay i can do the last words well um my last word is this um currently awari is in development uh mm. with that being said I am. Uh, I can, can I promote here? I, I don't know. I'm of not course. really. So Feel two free. things I'm looking for, right? So one is I'm looking for bold companies who want to, who sees the the, the opportunity and the benefit with this technology, and I want mm-hmm. to work with them and get them a part of what I call the Awari Circle, right? And mm-hmm. and those companies who are really about trying to create equitable, inclusive workplaces. Secondly, uh, I am also in a process of raising funds so I can build out the rest of my team. So I am looking for either angel investors or VC investors who just want to have a conversation. We don't know if it's going to be a good partnership or, or fit right now, but more importantly, like let's talk about it and let's see if it, if it, if it makes sense for both of us. Right. And then if so, let's go out here and change the world. <laughs> One workplace that was starting in a workplace. Uh, nice. Cause again, real quick, going back to the ingredients piece, right? So, the, the, the foundation of Awari, again, I'm starting in HR workplaces, but the goal with the technology is to move it into other areas where equity can be um, used. So fintech, so financial technology, looking at education, looking at healthcare, because I believe all these things, like I said earlier in the conversations, everything's interconnected. Well, we need more equity in a lot of areas in society. My, my 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 goals, my hopes, my aspirations, my belief is that Awari will serve as uh, a foundational component to assist people in becoming more equitable. I, and I'm emphasizing assist. I'm not trying to replace humanity because mm-hmm. we need our intellect. This tool is is literally a tool to assist us to do what we are kind of wired to do, just make us more efficient at it. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. last question. Go ahead. Are you a robot? Dude, we're all robots in some capacity, right? It, it just depends. That, that's how I look at it. I, I think everybody's a robot. It's just depending on if you're like a a smart robot or not a smart robot. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, honestly, I think I'm an alien. Like, yeah, yeah. Ask my wife. She's gonna say I'm an alien. So I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave with that. <laughs> Awesome, Lewis. This has been incredible talking to you. I really appreciate the time that you took to spend with us to break down some of these topics that, again, we don't talk about enough. I think, like you mentioned, we need to bring these out. We need to have conversations around this stuff because otherwise, it's just going to stay in the back of our minds. It's going to stay over on some corner where it doesn't get the attention that it needs. And for us to move forward as a society, we need to talk about this stuff. So I really yeah. appreciate you being here. 
talking to us about it. I appreciate you having me on, man. Really appreciate it. So thank you. No problem. So that will conclude our session of Are You a Robot podcast. Thank you again for listening. And if you would like to join us and talk more about all of this stuff, please check out our Slack workspace. You can find the link to that below. Thank you.